Well, we have all had this experience in one way or the other where we have been in a crowd with lots of people but have felt invisible. Whether it's a recent experience or something from your childhood, if you think about it, you will at least remember the feeling, the feeling of being amongst many but feeling overlooked or feeling invisible. Today I want to talk to you a one-week sermon called God Sees, and we're going to look at a lady in the Bible named Hagar. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 16. Hagar was a character that can often be overlooked in the story of God's redemption through the family of who we now know as Abraham and Sarah. In the narrative today, they'll be known as Abram and Sarai. And I want us to look at Genesis chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me if you're not already there. Genesis chapter 16. And, you know, the first service, I didn't read the whole story, and then it just made it more confusing. So just stick with me here. We're going to read some of the verses, and then we'll talk about them, okay? Genesis 16, starting with verse 1. Abram's wife, Sarai, had not borne him children. She owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abraham, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps I can have children by her. Now, let me just give some commentary here. I'm not going to begin to touch the whole issue of Old Testament polygamy. This was, this story occurred before the law was given. But even within that, uh, there are some things that today as God's people who have a greater understanding of covenant relationship, uh, some of the things that occurred in the Old Testament, uh, we know that are not the heart of God. And so here it is that Abram had received this message in Genesis chapter 12. Chapter 1 through 11 were these big, broad stories about how humanity had advanced. And we get these huge stories that history happens really, really fast through Chapter 1 through 11, there's Noah's Ark, there's a Tower of Babel, so on and so forth. Chapter 12, God focuses history on this one man named Abram and this family, the Jewish family. And he promises Abram, he says, you're going to have many, many offspring, so many you can't even count them. And spiritually, we're part of his descendants today. But here was a problem. Abram didn't have any children, and he and his wife were very old. So between the time God gave him the promise and the promise was fulfilled, Abram did what many of us do. We try to help God along. We try to speed God up. A lot of times we get a word from God and sometimes that word is discovered by those close to us. And when it is delayed, I think because we're embarrassed, we try to push God along and think maybe I should create the circumstances for God's word to come to pass. Boy, that puts us in a dangerous place. It puts Sarai and Abram in a dangerous place in the narrative we just read. So now that I gave you that background, let me reread this. So Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave, Perhaps I can have children by her. Now, if I could go back in time 
and give some marriage counseling to Abraham. This is where Abraham says, no way, honey. You're the only woman for me. I would dare not do something like that. That would have been the wise thing. It would have kept him out of a lot of trouble. But what does the Bible say in verse 2 of Genesis 16? And Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. Just like a guy, right, ladies? What was he thinking? You know, a lot of times when we get impulsive and impatient, we do things that don't make sense. Instead of waiting on God, we try to create God's will for ourselves instead of trusting in God's appointed time. So verse three, Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian maid. I want you to remember that part of it. Egyptian slave and gave her to her husband, Abraham, Abram, as a wife for him. This happened after Abram lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. Verse four, he slept with Hagar. She became pregnant. And when she realized that she was pregnant, uh, then she looked down on her mistress. So this was an immaturity. We're just going to assume Hagar was much younger than Sarai. And it's something we do in immaturity. She began to look down upon Sarah. Verse five, then Sarah said to Abraham, you are responsible for my sufferings. Yeah, she turned on him fast, didn't she? I put my slave in your arms and ever since she saw that she was pregnant, she has looked down on me, made the Lord judge between me and you. Abraham replied to Sarai, here your slave is in your hands. Do whatever you want with her. Then Sarai mistreated her so that she ran away from her. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Verse eight, he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She replied, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Verse nine, then the angel of the Lord said to her, you must go back to your mistress and submit to her mistreatment. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring and they will be too many to count. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, you have conceived and will have a son. You will name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. The man, this man will be like a wild ass. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. He will live at odds with all his brothers. For those of you under the age of 18, I did read the Bible there verbatim. <laughs> Verse 13, so she named the Lord who spoke to her. Think about this. She named the Lord who spoke to her, and here's what she named him, the God who sees. El Rahoy is the actual name of that. For she said, have I really seen the one who sees me? That is why she named the spring a well, the living one who sees me. And that's the word of the Lord today. Thank you for giving me a little more time to read. Hagar has a reality we're going to connect to today. And we need to resist the temptation, us guys in here to say, well, this is a story about a female in the Bible. So uh, my wife or girlfriend or daughter, they will relate to this better than I will. No, this is the human condition we're going to see in Hagar. We're going to see parallels to our lives today. 
And you notice this, and you can put this on the screen, verse three, Genesis 16, three, says, Abraham's wife took Sarai, her Egyptian slave. Now, already I told you in chapter 12, God had reduced history and defined it through this one man, this one family, Abram and the Jewish people. Incidentally, God has chosen the Jewish people to bless the whole world. That's one of the reasons Satan tries to stir up anti-Semitic attitudes and actions towards the Jews, because God has chosen the Jews to bless the world. So here it was that he had chosen this one family starting in chapter 12, and now we see that Hagar is not just a slave, but an Egyptian slave. Here's the first observation about Hagar I want you to write down is Hagar was an outsider. She was outside the chosen group, outside the chosen family, outside those who were set apart as unique unto the Lord. This is one of the parallels I want you to see for many of our lives when we look at the life of Hagar. Some of us have bought into the lie of the enemy that just because we haven't been a Christian since the nursery that we're somehow on the outside of God's family. We wrongly and incorrectly believe just because we're learning Bible stories because we came to the Lord as adults or that we're not as quick to understand theology or we don't know what we have modernly called Christianese, which is church sublanguage and theological terms, that somehow we are inferior or we're not in the elite class of Christians. This is one of the deceptions of the enemy. The enemy wants us to think that there's these different categories of Christians. And what happens is this, is we begin to become discouraged and think, I'll never catch up with the rest of the group. I'll never pray sophisticated prayers like, the expert ones who pray. I'll never have the deep theological knowledge that some of the men in the Bible study have. And so what we do is we begin to belittle our relationship with the Lord. And we begin to belittle who we are in Jesus because we feel like outsiders. I want you to be encouraged today because God came to Hagar Hagar, who was in the natural realm, an outsider. She was a slave with no rights. She was someone who was under subjugated, under the will of her masters. She had to do what they said, even to being taken advantage of, as we read today in the story. She was an Egyptian. And Egyptians are derived, often they are still derived today by Jewish people. And they're not considered they're not considered um, the right type of people. And yet, here's what I want you to see today. Do you know that the first angelic message ever recorded in Scripture was sent to Hagar? She was the first one to hear this message from an angel that God said, listen, I know you're being mistreated, but I have a plan. I know you're under oppression, I know that you're under a system that is oppressing you, but I have a plan for you. You see, Hagar was not only an outsider, but write this down, Hagar was also a victim. Hagar was under a social structure that put her at a disadvantage right away. She was subjugated to the will of her master with no freedom no ability to create her future. 
And here it was that she was actually sexually exploited and exploited by the immaturity of her leaders. She was a victim. And we have among, among us today many people who are societal victims. They're victims of social structures. They're victims of generational mindsets that have been passed down over and over and over again. They're victims to a lack of opportunity. But I know this, that if God reached down to Hagar, who she was a victim, she was a victim of societal sins, and he sent an angel, he sent a message to her. It gives us hope today that no matter what social situation we're in, no matter how many disadvantages we have in the natural, no matter how the, the deck is stacked against us and it seems like we have no way to self-advance, to be the men and women of God that he wants us to be, that God has a plan for us and he's sending his help to help us be the men and women of God he wants us to be. We are not limited by the social structures that oppress. Yet still, those of us who are in power, those of us who have influence, those of us who can, can make a difference, we must still address these injustices. And I want you to know that we live in a day where we're responsible for the state of our community. We're responsible for the systems in our society. And I want to encourage you to be one who, who speaks for change and who lives for change. And that this is the point when I can begin to make all kinds of suggestions to you of what Christians should care about and what Christians should be involved in. And sometimes it's helpful for me to kind of prime the pump. But here's what I want you to know is this, is that you have a Bible and you have the Holy Spirit and you have a brain. And it's time for us to be people of devotion, people who are seeking God's truth, people who are thinking about the critical issues of our day. We are not the victims of just the opinions of what we come across when we watch cable news or we listen to the radio or we hear people's opinions where we're just going from opinion to opinion to opinion with no Christian worldview. We are men and women who are individuals. We have intelligence given to us by God. We can seek the truth. We can understand what the spirit says. We can live according to the word. And then we can mentally engage in the issues of our day, and we can help the Hagars in our society. You know that there are Hagars in our society that are being oppressed, and we as God's chosen people can be part of the system if we don't realize it. We can unknowingly try in the name of God's will be propagating systems that oppress and hurt people and lead people into sin. So we must think critically. And we must be like the sons of Issachar that we know the present state of our day and we know the times around us because it's not acceptable for us to oppress Hagar's in the name of the Lord and be blind to how it's affecting their lives. So it's not only societal sin. Most of us in here are victimized individually. It's not just these social structures. It's the stuff that happens to us. It's that unwanted sickness. It's that unexpected divorce. It's that unruly child. It's that layoff. It's the financial struggle. It's the things that we did not control, but were imposed upon us. 
And it's easy to feel victimized when something outside of our control has come into our lives and it's affecting the way we live today. But the story of Hagar lets us know that no matter how hard the oppression is and how unjust the oppression is and how unwanted the circumstances is, that God is right in the middle of it, that God sees you in your injustice. He sees the things that you've been victimized and he doesn't want you to stay at the place of victimization. He wants you to move on. He wants to, um, he does not want you to be defined by what, by what has happened to you. He wants you to be defined with how you overcome what has happened to you. And here's what I want you to see, that at the beginning of this redemption story through Abraham and Sarah and the role Hagar played, if God was concerned about the destiny of Hagar and if he was concerned about all that's happened to her and he provided for her, he's going to provide for you also. You see, the first point about God's relationship to Hagar is this. Hagar was found by God. He was found by God. She was found by God. Genesis 16, 7 says this. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. The angel of the Lord found her when she was running away. The angel of the Lord found her when she was an outcast. The angel of the Lord found her when she was in the wilderness. Some of us feel that way today. We feel like we've been sent away by those who have oppressed us. We've been shunned. We've been uninvited. We're at a place that we do not prefer. We're in the wilderness. We're at a place where we have no protection and no rights and no provision. And this is a place where we feel forgotten. This is a place where we feel overlooked. But this is the place where the Lord is going to find you. This is the place where you're going to find that the Lord knows exactly where you are and what you need. And he's coming right into the middle of the situation. Our God cares for you. Even when you've been rejected. Even when you feel like an outcast. Even when you feel like you're in the wilderness. Our God is looking for you. You see, one of the things, or or not one of the things, I I believe the great differentiation between Christianity and every other religion is this. Every other religion is about man earning God's favor and seeking God. Christianity reverses it. It's about God seeking us. God, through his prevenient grace, has situated our life and he has gone after us and he has created the atmosphere for us to choose him. So whether you raise your hand at a salvation call or walk the aisle in our American tradition as we think about Billy Sunday and Billy Graham and Charles Spurgeon or whether you prayed the center prayer at a VBS or watching a Christian television show, whenever it was that you responded to God's grace, you may have made the choice, but he made the choice first. That's the beauty of the gospel. Does God choose us or do we choose God? Both. We choose God because he chose us first. And he finds us. He finds us at the darkest place. He finds us in the place of isolation. He finds us in the wilderness. And he he is a God who sees where we are. Very similar to God finding us. It's the fact that we are seen by God. Hagar was seen by God. These points almost are the same point. But as we're following the scripture, we see that the words are emphasized at different places. Genesis 16, verse 13. So she called the Lord who spoke to her 
and I underline these words on the screen, the God who sees. El-Rohi, the God who sees. This very unlikely woman, the outcast, the oppressed, not only was she the first person to get an angelic message from the Lord, she was the first person to give God a name. She gave him, he's a God who sees. He's a God who sees where I am. When I've been rejected by my master, when I've been sent away, when I've been at the place of desperation, my God is the God who sees. You see, we go back to the gospel and we understand this. Romans 5, 8 says these words. It says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God found us at our darkest place. You know, the things in our heart that we want to ignore, we want to pretend that they don't even exist. God knows the details of that and he died for that. God did not come and he did not sacrifice himself on the cross for the morally elite. He didn't sacrifice himself on the cross for the discipline. He didn't do that for those who had it together. He did it for the worst of sinners and I'm the worst of sinners because he saw us. He saw the depths of who we are. And when Hagar says, he's the God who sees. She was at a point of desperation. She was at a point of isolation. She was at a point where her very existence was in question. And yet she said, he's the God who sees. The love of God, I've been speaking and preaching about it for years, reading about it, thinking about it. And I'm still amazed by it over and over and over again. My favorite parable in the Bible comes from Matthew chapter 13, verse 45. It says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, think about this, one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. I love this. I love this parable, this story that Jesus told. And the first time I read it, you probably read it this way too. I applied it this way. The gospel is worth everything. I'm gonna give up everything for the gospel. When I found the message of Jesus, everything, I'd laid down everything for it. And that's certainly a proper interpretation of it. But many years ago, I was told a different interpretation, an interpretation that changed my life. Go back to verse 45. It says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. I want you to think about a man who has traveled the whole world going from sea to sea, market to market, always looking for the perfect pearl. Always looking for a pearl that, always looking for a pearl that had value. And this man could hold a pearl in his hand and he could know its value by its weight. He could hold it up in the light and he could see the quality of it in the light. He, he would know how much this pearl would get in one of the marketplaces and how valuable it was. He, he had spent his whole life looking for pearls that almost right away he could identify the value of one. But then look what happens in verse 46. But when he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and he bought it. He bought the one. I want you to think about this. Jesus is the merchant. 
and you're the pearl. Think about his love for you. And when he saw you, when he saw you, he gave everything, he gave his life for you. He laid down his power. He laid down his rights. He laid down everything for you because you're so valuable. The story of Hagar reminds us that those who are marginalized in society, those who are overlooked, God doesn't overlook them. She said, you're the God who sees. You're the God who sees my value. You're the God who doesn't overlook me. It, it's so easy that, you know, Abram and Sarah, just Sarah, I just wanted to send her away and whatever happens to her, happens to her. She can die. She can die of thirst. She can die of a wild animal attacking her. It really doesn't matter. Just get her out of my life. The type of people that we often just push away and disregard are the type of people that God sees. And I'm that kind of person. God sees me. God sees me. And when he sees me, there's a uniqueness that he gave everything. And so when you think about the parable, I want you to imagine a nail-scarred hand holding this pearl of value. And that's Jesus holding you and holding you because of his love for you. So the story goes on. And kind of like our lives, we learn a lot about human nature through the scripture. You know, we deal with an issue and we don't quite deal with it and life just kind of moves on and then it pops up again. And that's what happens in Genesis. Abraham gets visitors, Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. Other battles happen. And then we go to verse 21, excuse me, chapter 21. In chapter 21, Isaac is born. Isaac was the son of promise because Isaac wasn't born through Hagar. He was born through Sarah. And so the ramifications were that Hagar and Ishmael could no longer stay. There was no longer room for either one of them. It was, again, the consequences of a bad situation they were in. And so we pick it up in verse 15 of Genesis 21. Verse 15 says, when the water and the skin was gone, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down nearby about a bow shot away for she said, I, can bear, I can't bear to watch the boy die. So as she sat nearby, she wept loudly. And God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid for God has heard the voice of the boy from the place where he is. In verse 18, get up, help the boy up and support him for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And so she went and filled the water skin and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy and he grew and he settled in the wilderness and became an archer. Here's my last point today. Hagar was rescued by God. The God who found her, the God who saw her, the God who sees is also the God who rescues her. And sometime later, when she and Ishmael were at a point of desperation, again, ironically, back at another stream, back in the wilderness, and Ishmael was on the verge of death. It was a point of desperation. God had not forgotten her. And 
He came to her cry and he came to her rescue. And I know this, if we're using this story as a parallel for our lives, many of us feel that we're in that point of desperation. And this, this is what I really feel in my heart today, my spirit, is that our Ishmael's are like our dreams. They're, it's like our son, our daughter, our dreams, and they are at death's door. They're crying out. And it is, we're, we're watching, we feel like we're watching the dream die. We're watching the dream die. We're watching our hope die. And no one even knows. We're by ourselves. We're in isolation. This is a word picture the Lord's given this, this, this service today. We're by ourselves. We're all alone. Our dreams are about to die. And the Lord wants you to know he sees you. He knows exactly where you're at. And he will provide for you. And it is not over yet because of who he is and what he's doing. I want to ask our ushers to begin to prepare to distribute congregational communion today. And I want to pray for you because I understand something today. I am very limited by my verbal um, abilities to reach into your heart and describe where you are or what you are doing. A lot of times we do that as pastors. We begin to um, throw out different situations. And many times the Spirit is using those situations to speak to people's hearts. But I'm very aware today that there are very deep rivers that are, are going on. There, there's very deep stuff going on. And I do not have the ability as a public speaker or even a pastor or even a prophet of the Lord to understand the deep rivers that are going on in your hearts. Sometimes I have earthly knowledge of things that are happening, but even then I don't have the emotional empathy to know what's going on in you. The turmoil, the sense of desperation, but I have been sent into your life today as a messenger from God. And God has used and chosen in his wisdom to preserve this very uncomfortable story about Hagar. Listen, as we, we can begin to talk about this story. It gets really uncomfortable with some of the social ramifications and all that. But God has chosen the story to speak to you today. And he's speaking to you. And he's saying that if thousands of years ago, in this lady who had no rights, who had no protection, who had no hope, who had no future, and she was sent a message from God and she gave God a name that encourages us today. He's a God who sees. He sees exactly where we are. He sees exactly what's going on. God is never caught off guard. Even when we're forgotten, even when we're overlooked, even when there's someone special to us, they don't see us anymore. Listen, they overlook us. They don't see us anymore. We feel, we feel like we have been completely abandoned. That's when you have the Lord, the Lord who says, I see you exactly where you're at and I will not let your dreams die. I will not let your child die of thirst. I will not let them rot out in the wilderness. I will come and I am coming to you. This is what the Lord wants you to know this day. He is the God who sees. He sees the desperation. He sees that there's a spirit of death on you, a spirit of death that wants to destroy many things in your life. But that spirit will not win the day. That spirit, because there's a promise from the Lord and what God promised in the beginning will surely come to pass. Do you remember what he promised? Hagar, back in chapter 16, he said, your son Ishmael will be great. Your son Ishmael will be a great nation. That's God's promise to her. And that promise came to pass. I want you to pray with me. Father, I, with my limitations... 
I speak life to my friends. I understand, Lord, that I'm limited at this point. I'm limited to speak into their situation. But God, you have no limits. And Holy Spirit, I know that right now you're beginning to move in hearts and you're speaking to them about specific things. Listen, you have thoughts in your head right now. You're in the presence of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you and he's speaking life unto you. He's speaking life into that situation. I don't want you to doubt his voice. The enemy wants you to doubt the voice of the Lord, but you are a sheep and he is your shepherd and the sheep know his voice. You know the voice of the Lord and the Lord is speaking life into your situation. He's speaking life into your situation. He is speaking hope into something that's hopeless. And the spirit of death that is over you will not win. It will not rule the day. It will not be the final word in your life. There is life in the promise of the Lord. There is life in the promise of the Lord. And our God is the God who sees. I want us to center now, not on our circumstances. I've talked about the circumstances for several minutes. But see, when we talk about the circumstances, that keeps changing. It changes daily. It changes weekly. The circumstances come, the circumstances go. But the word of the Lord, the nature of the Lord stands forever. And this is what the Lord wants you to hold in your heart. He's a God who sees. He's not the God who overlooks. You're not the invisible one. You are the seen one because that's who our God is. He's the God who sees.